Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome to this Fireside Folklore episode of Stories of Scotland where we are heading out to the Inner Hebrides and visiting the most haunted castle on sky. I'm Jenny, a drunken ghost. And I'm Annie, a wailing ghoul. And I'm really quite happy because this episode features a lot of my fellow spectral family. So for once, it's not just our wailing being heard, but we're feeling really seen too. <laughs> Just a wee content warning that because this episode is about ghosts and a prerequisite to becoming a ghost is that you must have your life extinguished. Unfortunately, this episode is mostly stories about death, so please listen with care. On the far northern tip of Skye, the ruins of a once great castle sit atop a rocky outcrop that juts out into the wild waters of the Minch. Ragged, crumbling walls are slowly tumbling down the black cliffs into the waves below, which surround the castle on three sides. On the southern side, where the land is attached to the Isle of Skye, runs a deep ditch, meaning that the castle that once stood here, Duntulm Castle, was very well protected on all four sides. The location is ideal for a defensive structure. And though there hasn't been much research into the pre-castle past, local accounts suggest that before the castle was here, the site was originally home to a Pictish broch. Stories of this tall stone tower that would have looked like a big rocky beehive say that it was called Dungaivy or Dundavid. And, as with many significant coastal buildings that were standing at the end of the first millennium, this would have definitely been a target for invading Vikings. Yes, because although nowadays it seems very far removed from everywhere, the structure was actually very well strategically placed for the old world, 
where the seas were the highways, and so many battles were fought for its control. During this time, we see a clash of cultures, the Norse and the Gaels, and the site of Dundavid fell into the hands of the Macdonalds, who quickly set about building a new and improved structure, a good old fort. But just because the Norse had been brought into the genealogical cocktail, it didn't mean that it was plain sailing for the new owners. You see, the MacLeods were also a powerful clan with a seat on Sky. And if there was anything that the MacDonalds and the MacLeods liked to do, it was feud. The MacLeods soon seized the new fort, but soon enough, the MacDonalds of Sleet, one of the most powerful branches of the vast MacDonald clan, came back with a vengeance and took the fort back. But what's that? It's the MacLeods again, and they managed to wrestle the fort for themselves once more. But the Macdonalds of Sleet were having none of this, and in a brutal scorched earth attack, they forced all those loyal to Macleod from the surrounding area. This culminated in the Battle of Trotternish in 1539, which the Macdonalds won. I've heard this called in Gaelic, the Battle of Achad Nafala, the Field of Blood. This brutal clan skirmish was fought on the banks of the Snizort River. There's not a lot of information about this battle, so everything that comes after the battle could well be clan-viewed propaganda, the kind of stories spun by bards by firelight to either make a clan warrior chief feel very powerful or the opposition clan feel like the army they were up against were pure savages. But nevertheless, some say that when the MacDonald clan won, Donald Gorham, their leader, took evil vengeance upon the MacLeods. He gathered the fallen corpses of the MacLeod clan from the battlefield, this field covered in blood, and he beheaded them. He then took these severed heads and tossed them into the rapids of the river. As the heads were carried downstream, they got caught in a swirling pool, bobbing between land and sea, and their relentless churning turned the whole river red. Today, the place is still known as Corinacheown, the cauldron of the heads. So we can see that some pretty heavy gore-building battle lore has gone on. Yikes, that is some serious battle gore lore. But what is clear is that MacDonalds did win this battle, and after their resounding defeat of the MacLeods, Donald Gorham MacDonald, the chief of Clan MacDonald of Sleet, took up his seat at Duntulm. Knowing that it was now firmly in his control, he turned it from a fort into a castle fit for a Highland chief. Over the following decades and into the 17th century, it grew into a large and heavily fortified courtyard castle with a huge four-storey high tower and an impressive fleet of galleys. Duntulm Castle had a blood-soaked beginning of territorial disputes both from the incoming Vikings to the neighbouring clans. Perhaps these battles and deaths that came with them gives the walls of the castle some kind of curse. Maybe not. 
Yet the mythology that has grown around this now ruined shell of a once powerful building whisper of the souls of those who departed within it and within the lands. For there are many ghosts bobbing relentlessly between this world and the next, caught between the rapids of life and the tides of death, forever tied to Dunton Castle. It may seem like a big claim, but there is no doubt that Dunton Castle is in fact the most haunted castle on Sky. Perhaps all of Scotland, although I'm sure we'll get some spectral listeners writing in to say that their castle is in fact the most haunted, let us know. We'll look at those ghosts too. But without further ado, let's get into the many ghosts of Duntulm. Did you just say a boo instead of a do? Yes, I did. That's a scarily bad pun, Jenny. Ah, thank you, boo. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going for. (laughs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Donald Gorham died shortly after securing Duntulm Castle. Upon his death, his son, Donald Gorhamson, took the reins of the clan and began playing the required games of power to maintain control of his lands and to keep his castle. Just a warning for this episode, many of the McDonald's of Sleet are called Donald and we're just going to have to roll with that. (laughs) It's truly a family name. Upon the death of Donald Gormson, his son, Donald Gorham Moore, became the seventh chief of the McDonald's of Sleet. And this is when the ghosts really begin to stack up within the walls of Duntalm Castle. And so this episode isn't really about the history of the McDonald's of Sleet, but rather the rich legends that show us the lost souls in Duntalm. Donald Gorham Moore was a hard-drinking, hard man, and he inherited the clan in a time of great turbulence. They were still feuding with the MacLeods, and the decades-long conflict was taking its toll not only on both sides, but all the other surrounding clans too. In the period that we join him, Donald was married, but he was without an heir, And so if he were to die in one of the many bloody battles with the MacLeods, then the chiefdom would be handed to his eldest nephew, also conveniently called Donald. (laughs) But this Donald's younger brother, 
a loose cannon called Hugh, didn't think this was fair. He may be the younger nephew, but he believed he was far better suited to be chief than his older brother, and so he began to plot. For his brother couldn't be given the clan if Hugh simply took it for himself. He switched on his oily charm, and pretending that he had turned a new leaf, went to his uncle and asked permission to build his own castle on the shores of Loch Snizort. His uncle approved of this idea, for perhaps the project would keep the young wildcard preoccupied for a while, and he'd stop going out and picking fights with every clan he could. And so Hugh began building his new home. But it was nothing like any castle anyone had ever seen before. It was a four-sided tower, with the tiniest little windows you've ever seen, and no visible door from the outside. When it was finished, Hugh was delighted with his impenetrable stone fort, and he sat in his dim study to write two letters. The first letter was for his uncle, Donald Gorham Moore, the chief of the clan. In this letter, he invited Donald over for a grand housewarming feast, as thanks for graciously granting him the land upon which to build his new fort. He then signed and sealed this letter, before moving on to write the second. This second letter was for Ald Martin of East Trotternish. Ald Martin was a mean old rogue who flip-flopped his allegiances depending on how the wind blew and how hungry he was that day. In this letter, Hugh invited Ald Martin along to the housewarming too, but not for food and wine, rather for murder and deceit. For Hugh was planning on having his uncle Donald killed and then seizing his castle and lands. And if Ald Martin would do the killing, then Hugh would reward him greatly for his services. When Hugh finished detailing his treasonous plan to Ald Martin, he signed the letter and sealed it too. Wonderfully excited about his plot finally coming together, Hugh addressed the letters and instructed his message lad to deliver them with haste, and so off the lad galloped to Duntulm Castle. But when Donald Gorham Moore opened his letter, he was not delighted, but enraged, because his nephew had in fact sent him the wrong one, for Hugh had addressed the letter for Old Martin with the name of the chief. He had been in such a rush to enact his dastardly plan that he'd got them muddled and accidentally informed his uncle of his own assassination. And so, instead of turning up at Hugh's castle with a bottle of wine and a candle, Donald Gorham Moore turned up with an army. However, because Hugh had built his castle to be pretty much impenetrable, the soldiers were unable to get inside and capture him. Instead, they were forced to lay siege to the fortress, and they cut off all supplies in an attempt to starve Hugh out. Eventually, late one night, they caught a maid sneaking through the bog with baskets of food, and she led them to a secret entrance. In a last-ditch attempt to evade capture, Hugh donned a dress and a wig and pretended to be one of the kitchen maids. However, the soldiers recognised Hugh immediately, as he had been in such a rush that he had put his petticoats on on top of his skirt, 
a mistake that no kitchen maid would make. Hugh was taken to his uncle who was livid with anger. He ordered his nephew to be thrown in the dungeon and chained up to boot. But to Hugh's surprise, when they left him in the dank room, they also left great plates of salted meat and fish and even a water jug. Perhaps this was just to be a slap on the wrist. After a time, he grew hungry and so ate some of the salted meat, but oh, did it make him thirsty. So he reached for the water jug, only to find it bone dry. But suddenly, something cut through his confusion, the sound of masonry. Horrified, Hugh realised that there were men outside his door slowly bricking it up. Oh, how he yelled and screamed, but in time his voice gave way to his dry throat. Over the next few days, Hugh couldn't help but eat the salted meat, but his thirst grew so insatiable that when death finally came to take him, the grim reaper pitied the sight before him. Many years later, during one of the renovations of the tower, the long-forgotten door was discovered and unblocked. Inside, they found the skeleton of a man grasping part of a water jug. The other part was found ground to dust between the teeth of the thirst-maddened Hugh MacDonald, and it's said that to this day, his desperate cries and curses can still be heard amongst the ruins. So there we have it, Annie, the first of our wailing ghosts. Wow, I feel a bit bad for this guy. What an awful way to die. Mm. Though he did kind of bring it on himself. Yeah, he did do the yieldy equivalent of sending a mean text message about someone to the person it's about. Only the text was a murder plot and the recipient was a notoriously cruel man. (laughs) Like many monarchs and rulers of the time, Donald Gorham Moore was famously not an empath, and the lore really reflects this. The punishment he dealt to his nephew fits a pattern of mean things that Donald Gorham Moore did to his enemies. And he didn't stop with this cruelness at the gates of his enemies, he also brought it to his nearest and dearest too. After this incident with Hugh, he realised that he had better get a move on and have an heir. But with his current wife, they had no son, and so Donald Gorham Moore arranged a hand-fasting for himself. This time to Margaret MacLeod, the sister of Rory Moore MacLeod of Dunvegan, the chief of the MacLeods. Wait, what? The MacLeods and the McDonalds hate each other? Yes, they do. But this hand-fasting represents a tenuous moment of peace, and a lot of people were really hoping it would put an end to the brutal feuding between the two clans, so no more rivers needed to run red. Ah, uh, why do I feel like tenuous is the key word there? <laughs> What's the difference between a marriage and a hand-fasting? Handfasting is a really interesting European tradition and there's a lot of folklore that relates to it. It often refers to a wedding that isn't performed by an officiant or sometimes it's similar to an engagement party. 
Rather than to be married immediately, the couple go through a hand-fasting ceremony and are essentially giving an oath to be together, as though it's a marriage, but it's maybe had something irregular within the ceremony. Now, the hand-fasting of the McDonald's and McLeod's is often very romanticised, with the story that they would be living with each other for a year and a day. Now, if the McLeod bride bore a male child during this time, or if they turned out to really like each other and just want to be married, then at the end of the year and the day's time, then it would become official. However, if at the end of the period there was not a male heir, or the couple decided that they didn't want to remain together forever, then the marriage would not go ahead. This is the folklore relating to this particular story about hand fasting and isn't actually how hand fasting went about. Okay, so for this story, it's kind of like a trial period because I feel like that seems like a good idea. Yes, after the hand fasting ceremony, Margaret moved into the lovely Duntulm Castle with her new husband. However, she quickly found that he was a cruel man and a worse partner. In the first few months of her arriving in Duntalm, she did not fall pregnant, but she did contract an eye infection. Instead of clearing up in a few days and healing, her eye got progressively worse and worse until there was nothing else for it. The physician of the castle told her that she had to have the eye removed. Donald Gorham Moore was a very shallow man and he could no longer bear the sight of his new wife because she only had one eye. Worse still, no heir was on the way. What little affection he had ever had for her turned tenfold to contempt, and he locked her in the topmost room of the tallest tower, which was four stories high. They had high ceilings back then. Here she would sit day after day weeping as she awaited her fate. Eventually, after a year and a day, Donald had grown so hateful of poor Margaret, who had done nothing wrong, that he decided to send her back to her brother. Margaret was released from her tower prison, yet subjected to the ultimate humiliation. She was tied backwards atop a one-eyed horse. Donald then had a one-eyed man lead this horse back to Dunvegan Castle. And a one-eyed dog followed them the entire way. When Rory Moore MacLeod received his sister and her one-eyed brigade, he was livid. He insisted that Donald take Margaret back immediately and marry her. But Donald Gormore refused, and to add insult to injury, he swiftly married another woman. Outraged at this behaviour, Rory Moore MacLeod declared the tenuous peace well broken. Ah, I knew it. Let me guess, Annie. More feuding ensued? How did you guess? <laughs> A year of violent raiding and fighting broke out between the clans, which ultimately culminated in the Battle of Corinne A fight that is made much more dramatic in the English name, the Battle of the One-Eyed Woman. This battle took place when the MacDonalds rode in pursuit of the MacLeods who had raided a large number of cattle and were taking them back down to the MacLeod lands. 
fighting broke out beneath the black coolins near the fairy pools. The fighting went on for many hours, but the McDonald's eventually gained the advantage. Once again, the nearby river was said to have run red with blood of the defeated MacLeods. But when the Privy Council of Scotland heard of the ongoing brittle raids and battles, they were appalled and they brought the islands into order. They commanded that these two clans desist immediately. Thus, the Battle of the One-Eyed Woman was the last clan battle ever fought in Skye. But to this day, it's said that the weeping of the One-Eyed Woman can still be heard in the ruins of the tower in Duntalm Castle. Oh, we got more of a weeper than a wailer. All right, we'll take it. It's interesting because Margaret didn't die in the tower. However, her time spent in the tower was clearly miserable. And the resulting actions of Donald Gorham Moore certainly led to many, many deaths. So upon her own death, Margaret decides that she should use her new spectral powers to make life in Duntalm really uncomfortable. Which I admire. I think if you're going to be a ghost, be a petty ghost. (laughs) Well, interestingly, the order to cease their fighting was not the last Donald Gorham Moore heard from the Privy Council. In 1616, he, along with many other West Highland and Islands chiefs, was called down to Edinburgh to be reprimanded over the great and extraordinary excess in drinking wine commonly used among the common people and tenants of the Isles. It is not only a cause of the beastly and barbarous cruelties and inhumanities that occur among them to the offence and displeasure of God and contempt of law and justice, but it also leads many of them to miserable poverty, so that they are forced, when they lack from their own resources, to take from their neighbours. Donald Gorham MacDonald was chief amongst these lawless drunkard chiefs. But despite travelling all the way down to Edinburgh for this hand-slapping, he got so drunk the night before with his two travelling-slash-drinking buddies that he was too hungover to actually attend the meeting. Despite his no-show, it was heard that at Duntalm Castle... Six household gentlemen had an annual consumption of four tonne of wine allowed him. A tonne, spelt T-U-N, is an old English unit of liquid volume. It was 252 gallons, which is 954 litres. Half a tonne was called a butt, half a butt was called a hogshead, half a hogshead was a barrel, and then the smallest was called a rundlet. Oh, a little rundlet of wine. (laughs) Even one tonne is a huge volume of wine. But at Duntalm Castle, they were drinking four tonnes each year. They had eight butts of wine between the six of them. That's 16 cheeks of wine, Annie. (laughs) This means that they were annually consuming 3,816 litres of wine, which is a whopping... 1.75 litres of wine per day per person. (laughs) 
Honestly, no wonder they were being called all the way to Edinburgh for that. That is an outrageous amount of wine. <laughs> I'm not surprised that they didn't make it to the meeting. And I'm even less surprised by what happened on the return trip back to Skye. Donald Gorham Moore and his two drinking pals wound their way back up the country in their carriage, getting steadily drunker with each passing mile. By the time they finally reached Skye, it was the dead of night. And by the time they finally saw the flickering lights of Duntom Castle, they were so completely rundleted that they drove their carriage from the road into a wet ditch. It was a freezing night, and the three wine and water-soaked men fell asleep in the wreckage of their waterlogged carriage, never to wake up. But for some, the party never ends, and the next morning the ghosts of the three men arose from the wreck and returned to Duntalm Castle for more drinking yet. For decades to come, many a person saw the ghostly troop of drunken men plodding their way along the road to the castle. And would you look at that, Annie? No wailing or weeping in sight with these ghosts. No wailing or weeping, no. But perhaps something even worse. Farting? You know, after all those butts? No. (laughs) Donald Gorham Moore died with no male heirs, and so his nephew, Donald Gorham Og, became the chief of the clan MacDonald of Sleet after his passing. He swiftly took up residence in Duntalm Castle, but because his late uncle wasn't the most organised of fellows, poor Donald Gorham Og couldn't actually find the documents that asserted his rights to the castle and the clan. They weren't anywhere to be seen. Oh man, that stinks. It does. Because of all the farts. (laughs) Oh, Jenny, I hate those jokes. (laughs) What's even worse, with his new position as clan chief being so precarious, was that Donald Og was getting no sleep whatsoever. Every evening, this riotous group of ghost revellers would not only walk up the road, but they would strut right into his castle. They'd sit up late into the wee hours, drinking and partying loudly in a room in the tower. As each night went on, they would become more and more noisy and violent. But if Donald Gorham Og burst into the tower room to catch these ghosts and demand them to be silent, he'd find nothing there. It would be dark and quiet, not a soul in sight. At a loss, the young chief consulted a wise man in the village who told him that he should gather six men so that they had seven people. Each man should carry a long pine stick which the wise man had blessed and each of these seven sticks should be lit so their ends were aflame. Then the men should wait outside the room until the ghosts were at their most rowdy and burst in brandishing the lit torches of blessed pine wood. The next night, the group of seven men did just this exactly, and to their surprise, the three drunken ghosts did not disappear when they entered the room, but rather the ghosts stayed and remained, awed by the flickering, flaming sticks, because all ghosts love watching a good fire. 
Donald Gorham Og pleaded to his late uncle and his ghostly friends to please keep the noise down. And to this, the ghosts agreed. They were a bit awkward. They didn't realise they'd been keeping everyone up at night with their drinking. They also told young Donald where to find the documents and the deeds that would secure his position as head of the clan and keeper of the castle. But before they departed for the evening, they warned him. If it were not for the slender lances of pine, this would be to thy hurt, young Donald Gorham. From then on, the ghosts, while still always present, were much quieter and more courteous and polite. But it's said that to this very day, they can occasionally have one too many tons of wine and their riotous shouts can be heard echoing round the ruins of Duntulm Castle. All right, let's add slurred shouting into our list of wailing, weeping, crying and calls. Donald Gorham Moore was a big character in life and a big drunken character in death. Perhaps this is why he is responsible for most of the ghosts in the castle. Most, but not all. It is definitely true that the ghosts slow down after Donald Gorham Moore and his drunken friends take up residence in the castle, but tragedy still unfolds within its walls, or rather, atop them. For many generations later, there was a new Macdonald chief residing in Duntalm Castle. He had new problems and new feuds, but the same old name, Donald. <laughs> Plot twist! <laughs> Donald and his wife Helen had been trying for many years to conceive a son, an heir, so that their lineage may continue to wield great power. When all was thought lost and time pretty much run out, a miracle happened and Helen fell pregnant. The couple were delighted and hoped beyond all hopes that a baby boy was born to them. Nine months later, a baby was born. And oh, what jubilation Donald felt when he learned it was a boy. After much humming and hawing, the couple decided upon a name for their son, the heir to the clan MacDonald of Sleet. He was to be named Donald. A beautiful and original name for a MacDonald. <laughs> Big Donald vowed to give this baby, wee Donny, an upbringing fit for a chief and to protect him against all the ills in the world. He wished nothing but the purest of upbringings for his son and so he hired a nun to care for him and raise him. Oh, this nun was a wonderful nanny, and she loved wee Donny so dearly and was honoured to be his guardian. One day, she took the baby boy up to the tallest tower of the castle, so that they may look out over the lands that he would one day have responsibility over. But then, tragedy struck. The baby wriggled free from her grasp and fell from the tower down onto the crashing cliffs below. The nun was beside herself with grief and remorse, guilt and sorrow and countless other awful emotions. But this was no match for the chief's anger. He threw the nun into the dungeon to suffer alone in the cold, dank darkness. So overcome with rage was Donald 
that he ordered the nun to be bound tightly, put in a small boat, and then set adrift from the very cliffs the baby had perished upon. But the men he ordered to carry out this horrid task felt terribly sorry for the traumatised and broken nun in the dungeon. For they had been guarding her cell and borne witness to the torment of her soul. And so, these men decided that they would sneak the nun from the castle and hide her. Then they would replace her with a dummy and tie this dummy to the boat and set it out into the waves. But alas, their plan was foiled at the last minute and the nun's punishment was carried out. It is said that her grief-stricken screams can still be heard, carried on the crashing waves that surround Duntulm Castle to this day. And that her relentless cries still ring from the walls of the dungeon. And that her wails now echo eternally out, grimly from the top of the tallest tower. Well, that's a lot of screaming and sobbing and wailing to add to the list. I think it's an apt amount for a story this sad. Truly a tragic tale. But I do have to say, we visited Duntulm Castle last year and I am disappointed to report that I didn't hear a single tormented wail or drunken cry or salty scream emanate from the ruins. Not one. No, it was a beautiful day of patchy blue skies, squalls of cold rain and gusts of chilly wind, but alas, no ghosts made themselves heard to us. But, Annie, I'm not unconvinced that we didn't have a brush with something that lies beyond the beaded curtain between these worlds nonetheless. When? Well, if you remember, Annie, we drove up the eastern side of the Trotternish Peninsula, around the northern tip and then parked in a large lay-by on the western side. We then hopped out of the car and went to enjoy the rugged wonders of the ruins of Duntalm Castle. No screams from the past were heard, but this didn't stop us pestering the other tourists we met there by telling them how many ghosts haunted the castle and the tragic tales of each one. But there was one spooky spectral event that we didn't pepper these tourists with because I didn't know about it until researching for this episode. And I think, in classic McDonald of Sleet fashion, the slighted spectre took its revenge upon us for this exclusion. I just want to highlight that we were telling these tourists ghost stories in the rain and they just really wanted to see the ruined castle. (laughs) They didn't want any ghost stories. They did not care for Story to Scotland live in a castle. (laughs) (laughs) So Jenny, are you once again trying to convince me that you were haunted? No, no. I'm trying to convince you that we were haunted, Annie. You're in this boat too. I was in no boat, Jenny. I don't want to be in any boat with you. Well, no, let me explain. Okay, so the road that we took to Duntalm Castle skirted the edges of a small knoll called Knock and Vrola. And we parked in a lay-by at the foot of this knoll whilst we visited the castle, right? Right, I remember this lay-by well, because when we got back to the car, we had a flat tyre, and we had to crawl around in the mud for half an hour fixing it. Ah, yeah, exactly. See... The knoll's name is Knock and Rola, which means the knoll of rolling. 
or the Knoll of the Round and Round. And it gets this name because of none other than Donald Gorham Moore, our wine-drinking, wife-humiliating, war-mongering seventh chief of the McDonald's of Sleet. At one point during his tenure as chief, he found himself and his men stretched very thin. They had garrisons of troops all over Sky and the Isles of Beyond, but none at home to protect Duntong Castle. Now the MacLeods observed this and decided it would be a grand time to attack Duntulm and put some serious pressure on the seat of their hated rivals. Catching wind that a troop of MacLeods were on their way, Donald Gorham Moore thought fast and gathered all of his household staff, from kitchen maids to stable boys and even the bard. He dressed them all in armour and gave them heavy weapons and then instructed them to march around the knoll outside the castle in an unbroken loop, so that from afar it would look as though there was an endless stream of soldiers patrolling the perimeter of Duntulm Castle. The trick worked. The MacLeods were fooled and retreated, fearing yet another brutal defeat at the hands of Donald Gorham Moore's soldiers. And to this day, Annie, to this day, it is said that on misty evenings, a procession of kilted warriors, fully armed and battle-ready, can be seen marching around and around Knock and Rolla. These are the ghosts of the warriors who fell, defending their clan over generations of bloodshed, taking up their eternal shift, forever protecting their chief and his castle. And I think, one of these disgruntled spirits, upon being left out of our ghostly top trumps for tourists, whilst passing by the lay-by on his endless journey around the knoll, wielded his ancient weapon and punctured our tire as revenge. <laughs> Jenny, there's nothing supernatural about you not checking your tread. <laughs> yeah, those potholes were lethal. <laughs> But just to add more spook to your troubled tire, I did read somewhere that the name of the Hill of the Rolling is actually from when criminals would be rolled down it inside a nail-studded barrel as a punishment for their evil deeds. Oh my gosh. Well, perhaps it was one of these ghostly nails that turned my tire into a spectral pancake. I highly doubt it. I think that's just a bit of myth right there, Jenny. Bit of a stretch, I'll take that. <laughs> Duntom Castle was abandoned by the living around 1732, when the then chief of the Macdonalds of Sleet, Sir Alexander Macdonald, desired a new abode. New name, new abode. <laughs> <laughs> He used much of the stone from Duntalm to build a new house around five miles away, thus leaving the castle a mere shadow of its former self and setting it on its path to ruin. One that we can still walk today, though if anyone does visit the castle, be very careful because it is a ruined castle on the edge of a cliff, so keep your dogs and your kids nearby. And watch out for those potholes. <laughs> <laughs> But while the living are long gone, the dead still remain. For the screams of Hugh MacDonald, who was dehydrated to death, 
and the weeping of the miserable one-eyed woman, and the rowdy cries of Donald Gorham Moore and his two drunken pals, and the tormented wails of the nun cast upon the waves can all still be heard today. And of course, you may also glimpse the tire-puncturing ghost army, forever patrolling and protecting their ancestral lands. And while we don't know why these souls remain, what we do know is that Duntulm Castle is undoubtedly the most haunted castle in all of Skye. Now standing in front of the once great and powerful, but presently ruinous, castle of Duntulm, there's a wee cairn, and it has an exceptionally special message on it. The cairn is to commemorate the MacArthurs, who were the hereditary pipers to the MacDonalds of the Isles. And it has the most beautiful phrase in Gaelic written upon it. The translation is... The world will end, but love and music will endure. And I think anyone who visits Skye knows that it's love and music that ring round those aisles, and not so much the ghosts. Or maybe a little bit the ghosts. Thank you so much for listening to our wee show. We hope you've had a wonderfully creepy October, and that your neeps are carved and drying nicely. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please do give us a wee five-star rating and a glowing review. It really helps other people to find our show, and we love reading your kind words. And if you have nasty words, just lock them in your dungeon and wall them up. You don't need that. (laughs) If you are a regular listener, then you'll have heard our announcement at the end of the last episode that starting soon we'll be moving our podcast to a platform that will automatically insert adverts into our show. We know it's not ideal, but in all honesty, we need to make money in order to keep this show that we love so much going. We really value your support more than ever during this transition, and we thank you for enduring whatever ads get inserted. If you'd like to help support us directly, you can also join our Patreon. We will be uploading episodes ad-free to the Patreon and there's also lots of fun Scottish content for you all. Thank you so much to our existing Patreon supporters and our new Patreon friends. Dave, Angela, Camisa, Mia, Laurie and Kate. Thank you all so much. Until next time, Slanjava. Slanjava. Wait, what? When? (laughs) Well, Annie. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean my acting isn't good enough for you, Jenny? (laughs) That was my interested voice. (laughs) Oh, I know. (laughs) Slangevar. Slangevar. No, I hate when you throw that one in. <laughs> it's like it's like you're drawing a perfect circle and then instead of connecting, you just like go like a millimetre too high. It's like, oh, we're so close. It's Slangivore. 
Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Hey, marketers. Want a matchmaker to set you up with your perfect audience? Well, look no further. Get intimate right away with host red sponsorships with Acast. Use Acast's self-serve ad platform to search and partner up with a podcaster or two from our network of more than 100,000 shows. Have them sing your praises in their own words. And get their listeners ready to be wooed into loyal customers. It's the ultimate loving endorsement. Book host red sponsorships with Acast. Head to go.acast.com slash closer to get started.